Good day, folks, and thank you for joining me today on a podcast. I haven't done one in, uh, boy, it's been a while now, and I did have some issues with the platform that I've been using, and a couple of other things happened, but I don't want to make excuses anyway. We've got uh, midterm elections coming up, and what I wanted to speak about today uh, was what would Jesus have to say And what did he have to say, I should say, about the political slash religious system of his day? Because, I mean, they definitely had it. And, of course, at the time of Jesus, they were under Roman occupation. And in the areas, they were under Roman rule under Caesar. But Caesar tried to uh, let the conquered people have a sense of autonomy as long as they didn't subvert Rome. And it was easier to rule over all the people if you gave them an illusion that they had some control over their own life. Probably should repeat that. People that want to lord it over you will always give you a sense that you have power in order for them to deceive you into serving them and their agenda. Of course, that doesn't go on anymore. And that's one of the things I want to try to point out in this podcast is Things don't change. We think, uh, we see today and we say, oh my goodness, look what's going on. We've never been this divided. This has never happened. Fact is, it's been going on through history. It was happening at the time of Jesus. It's been happening all along the way. And what we're seeing today, as Solomon said, there's uh, nothing new under the sun. Anyway, I just mentioned the political system of Jesus' day. They were very divided. There was, uh, I'm going to mention about five different groups and there was considerable division among them. They never saw eye to eye with each other. When man refuses God's kingly rule, he does the same things over and over with the same failed results, no matter how he tries to spin it. So let's look at who the different groups were. The, the governing body, when Jesus was around, they were in Jerusalem, was called the Sanhedrin Council. They're like the city council that's in Jerusalem. And the high priest, he served as like the council president over the rest of them. Now, the Pharisees were the more conservative group. They were considered the righteous, holy people closest to God and his ways. They had considerable support among the people who looked up to them. So I'm saying that I wanted to say, like, what did Jesus have to say about this? Well, Jesus called the Pharisees whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He called them blind guides leading the blind. They were hypocrites who, in the name of serving God, and this is his quote, he said, you're serving your father, the devil. Now, I'm not saying every Pharisee was that way. Jesus was speaking against that political slash religious group. Even Jesus' apostles, they took exception when Jesus uh, criticized the Pharisees. They told him one time, don't you realize who you're talking to? And that's when he told them, yeah, I get it. They're blind guides leading the blind. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples not to pray, not to give, not to fast, pretty much not to do anything like the Pharisees did it. Okay, so that's one group that Jesus really didn't align up with. Um, By the way, with everything Jesus said, he would be barred from any social platforms today for being so uh, politically and socially incorrect and offensive. Okay, who's another group? The Sadducees. They were also part, like the Pharisees, they were a part of the governing body, the Sanhedrin Council, but they were more liberal. The Pharisees are conservative, Sadducees are liberal. The Sadducees were also a wealthy upper class 
who didn't believe a lot of the other things that the Pharisees believed. As a matter of fact, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the law called the Torah, and they did not believe in the immortality of the soul. In other words, once you were dead, you were dead. There was no afterlife, no belief in any angelic beings, no angelic spirits at all. They were closely associated with the temple and the priesthood. They controlled the temple, and they were questioned as time went on, even Jesus, obviously, they were questioned about corruption that was taking place in the temple in Jerusalem. The whole political slash religious place of the day was rife with corruption. Of course, we don't have that today either. Now, they regulated the Pharisees, all the relationship with Rome, and they collected taxes, which is why Jesus, when he came in, he overthrew the the tables in the temple because of what they were doing with the collected tax money and how they were ripping off the people when the people came to offer their sacrifices and had to convert their currency into the currency. See, Jews lived all over the world at that time. They would, they probably as many Jews living outside of Jerusalem as they, outside of Israel as they were in Israel. And when they were required to come to the temple three times a year, and when they came, they had to pay a temple tax and they had to offer their animal sacrifices and they had to convert the currency that they had into the currency that would be used in Jerusalem and Israel. And there was currency manipulation and they were being ripped off. And again, we don't have currency manipulation that takes place today. Sadducees were hostile to all the other Jews. Uh, they, were, they, they were also hostile to Jesus. Uh, they would debate with Jesus, but only to try to trap him. And specifically, they had one instance where they debated about the resurrection. Jesus wound up telling them, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Now, John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers. So John the Baptist is off Facebook, too. He's not going to make it. Sadducees, their whole belief with with no afterlife that they did and being a wealthy kind of an upper class people, they believed in having their best life now. Which, by the way, is the title of a famous book by a famous pastor of one of the largest churches in America. Okay, then, moving on. There was another group called the Herodians. In other words, they were supporters of King Herod. It was Herod Antipas at the time. There was a whole line of Herods, and they were the supposed kings over the Jews. Now, Rome allowed them that because Herod was basically a puppet of Rome. Uh, The Herod that was there when Jesus uh, was ministering was actually, he consorted with Rome to get the job. And again, as I mentioned, why would they allow a king over because it was easier to control the Israeli people in Jerusalem with a puppet king? Now, here's the thing. The Herod line really wasn't even a Jew. He was an Edomite. The whole Herod line were Edomites, descendants of Esau. Now, what does the Bible say about Jacob and Esau? God himself said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now, what he meant by that was the descendants of Esau will never mix with the descendants of Jacob. The line would go Abraham, Isaac, and the descendants of Jacob, not the descendants of Esau. They would be separated from the Jews. Now, God wasn't condemning them or anything like that. He just said, you're not, the line's not going through you. 
So how would Herod ever become a king over the Jews? Well, a couple of hundred years before Jesus came, roughly a couple of hundred years, was a period called the Maccabean period. The nation of Israel had been in bondage for years, and their last one was under the descendants of... uh, The Greek, uh, Alexander the Great, divided his kingdom up into four, and the chief among them was Egypt and Syria. The Syrians were called the Seleucids, and the nation of Israel and Jerusalem was under the Seleucid, and they had their king, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was type of the Antichrist. He went into the temple and offered a pig on the Jewish temple. Anyway, where I'm going with this is the Jews got control miraculously got control over the temple again and expelled the Seleucids. And under this guy, John Hycranus, at the same time when they got back the temple, they of course they sanctified the temple again, which we call the festival, festival of Hanukkah, the festival of lights, where they uh, it was said that the lights in the temple stayed beyond the oil that they had in it, which they said was a miracle. And so from that point on, they... Uh, Celebrate Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. Jesus celebrated that too on Solomon's porch. One time he gave a whole dissertation to the people during the Festival of Lights. Anyway, this guy, John Hycranus, this Jewish leader, decided that he was going to force every Edomite to be converted to the Jewish faith. That was a bad idea to do that. Again, God had said they're going to be separate. And to this day, it happened in the time of Jesus where Edomites were in rulership, never should have been, and to this day there are still Edomites that are in rulership over the Jewish people. And that should never be. Never would God sanction an Edomite ruler over his people. Pilate one time sent, uh, well, in the end, he sent Jesus uh, to Herod Antipas. Now, Jesus had previously called Herod a fox. In other words, what's a fox? It's a low, cunning kind of a creature that's not straightforward, deceptive, and manipulative for their own agenda. And when Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, Jesus wouldn't give him the time of day. It's, it specifically says he was silent before him. He ignored him. He would never acknowledge his kingship. So my point is the Herodians, that political group, they didn't make the cut either. Now, who else were there? There were others called the Zealots. Now, this was the very aggressive political party. They hated Rome. And what did they want? Armed revolution. They wanted to subvert Rome, take it over through armed revolution, the Saqqara, the daggers. That, that, That was the weapon of the day. They even didn't like any of the other Jews who didn't agree with them. And they did not want anything to do with Jews who wanted to live or try to live in peace with Rome. So again, we got division among fellow countrymen to where they don't even want to talk to each other or considers the other point of view. Do we have that today? Now, finally, eventually, the Zealots got their way and they did force an armed revolution against Roman rule. And so we have the Jewish war in 63 to 70 AD. Now, how'd that work out? 
Well, it wound up with the slaughter of at least a million Jews in Jerusalem. It wound up with the destruction of Jerusalem and eventually the dispersion of Jews all over the known world. Of course, Jesus prophesied about all of that in Matthew 24. Now, the zealots, did they believe in God? Yes, but they just were not going to go about it as Jesus wanted. He was the Prince of Peace who never advocated for violence against Rome. When they came to arrest Jesus, what did he tell? Peter draws out his sword. He's ready to start slicing and dicing. And Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. And he tells him, if that were the answer, my father would send legions of angels right now, and this thing would be over in a New York second. But that's not the plan. Jesus taught to overcome evil. You did it with good, not physical weapons. Paul writes, and he says, the weapons of our warfare, meaning God's people, they're not natural. He said, our weapons are spiritual. And he said, they can be so powerful, we could tear down demonic strongholds if we just get on the same page. Now, do we have our zealots today? Absolutely. There are people that want armed revolution. There are a lot of angry people around, and in, and, and in some cases, people have a right to be angry. I think I think we all have a right to be angry over the evil that we that we see all the time. Jesus uh, displayed anger when he in uh, his day when he spoke against the Sadducees, when he spoke against the Pharisees. But what did he do with that anger? Well, he brought about change, the kingdom of God. He was bringing that kingdom to us to overcome all the evil. If the kingdom of God would have been accepted, evil would have eventually been eradicated. But of course, it was rejected. His way was rejected. They rejected his kingdom. They rejected his kingship. What's the end result? Evil continues. War continues. Violence continues. Hate continues. Empires come. Empires go with always the same result. Violence and armed rebellion as a solution, it will only perpetuate more violence and more armed rebellion. It's never the answer. And again, in our country, I can understand why people could think it that it would be, first of all, we are a country that was formed under armed rebellion. It's called the American Revolution. So you do produce after your own kind. If you start out with revolution and you start out with war, then you're probably pretty well going to see that going forward. Our Constitution even allows for the overthrow of the government. I mean, read it. It's I get a kick out of it. And, and one thing, they say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all people. And if that is violated in any way, then you have the right to overthrow the government. And then in the next paragraph, they basically say, oh, by the way, though, you're probably better off sticking with what you have. I mean, it's, 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 you got to get a kick out of it. But anyway, when you try with armed, armed revolution, it'll only perpetuate more evil. Furthermore, you wind up fighting against the very people who aren't the problem anyway. The real culprits are the ones behind the scenes, in the, behind the scenes in the shadows, like the serpent in the garden. So Jesus didn't line up with the zealots either. Now, the last group I want to mention, and this one is more religious than it is political, but I thought they were worth mentioning. They're called the Essenes. John the Baptist was said to be in a scene. Now, who were they? They were a Jewish group who basically separated from society. They lived off the grid. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
they're considered to be like the Essenes library. They lived in a highly organized group. They lived an incredibly ascetic lifestyle. I guess we'd call them more like holiness people today. They held property in common. No one was going to be rich. Everybody was going to be at the same economic level. As I, I said, they're widely considered the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They practiced poverty. For many of them, not all of them, but many of them practiced celibacy. They had a very strict diet, basically vegetarians. John the Baptist ate locust and wild honey. They were not allowed to drink any alcohol, and they had a daily practice of immersion in water every morning. And what was the point of that? It was like purity. They were basically saying the, it was a sign, a type, that we are going to be pure before God, which would make perfect sense why John the Baptist would go out baptizing in water. What he was doing it is, hey, you people need to repent. The kingdom of God's coming, and you need to immerse yourself in water as a sign of, I want to repent and be pure before God. The Essenes were very prophetic people. Uh, they forbade any expression of anger at all. And they were one of the few groups who opposed slavery. <laughs> they were allowed to carry weapons, but only for self-defense. And they would have to take like uh, almost like a vow of righteousness towards humanity. And we will abstain from any criminal or immoral activities. They did believe in uh, the immortality, the soul, life after death. And uh, by the way, what I, I just I keep mentioned twice life after death. And I wanted you to understand we live in a post-resurrection period where Jesus, and that's how, so vital to us, so important to us. Oh, my goodness gracious. If he didn't rise from the dead, we'd still be subject to death as the penalty for sin. But he rose, died on the cross to forgive our sin and rose up in resurrection to give us eternal life. But the concept of life after death, not only at the time of Jesus, but for centuries before among the Jewish people, they did not have that concept like we have it today. It was a little, some believed in it, but they didn't, they did not know much about it. And a lot of what they interpreted uh, biblically was for life that they were living here on earth. And of course, a lot of it did deal with life that they were living here on earth. So, <clears throat> but the Essenes did believe in the immortality of the soul. And uh, they had a clear, more clearer concept of it. So bottom line, these were good, ethical, moral, spiritual people who loved God and served each other. Uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Again, Jesus went through the immersion in water. And as soon as he was baptized, he went out into his wilderness experience, even like they lived. And he went out there for a period of time. He heard from his father regarding the ministry that lie ahead of him. He fasted for that period. He was tempted by the enemy. But he came out of that with the most tremendous anointing and power. He changed the course of history. However, was Jesus in a scene? Well, it wouldn't have fit the purpose of his coming. He came to seek and save the lost. Not, he didn't come to separate himself from them. He said the sinner needed help. The sick need a doctor. Uh, they needed redemption, and he came to offer it to them. And he demonstrated the kingdom of God to them, so he needed to be among them. And he taught them about life in the kingdom of God. 
Now, Jesus never found fault with the Essenes. They were God's people. He just wasn't called to be a part of that community. By the way, do we have people that live like that way today? Yeah, Amish, Mennonites, they basically kind of live off the grid. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But is everyone called to that? Probably not. But who knows, folks? We get a picture in the book of Revelation. In the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, it introduces the dragon, who is really Satan. And it talks about how he comes against the people of God. And when he comes against the people of God, they're forced to flee into the wilderness. And, but he can't get at them. God miraculously protects them, preserves them. So, you know, what I'm saying is, who knows, at some point in history, if the church of Jesus won't wind up living just like these Essenes lived, because the pressure will come on them, because, you know, Christians can undergo persecution. I know that's not a popular concept to think of suffering and persecution. I mean, we've convinced ourselves today that when any trials or tribulations come, we're, we're, we're taking off. We're going to be out of here. I'm not so sure that's that's the case. I think Jesus and his apostles went in trial tribulations, and Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. So the point I'm making is the time could come when we are forced to live. But you know what? As he seems. But you know what? If that happened, if Jesus separates his church, he will purge them, purify them, protect them, and provide for them. And they will be filled with like a spirit of Elijah, where they will have power to bind and loose like Jesus gave us the authority to do. Bind the enemy, loose the captive, set the oppressed and suppressed free. So it certainly wouldn't be a negative thing. Okay, so... Now, I know there's those today that believe that through the political system, we will actually Christianize America. I don't know that I agree with that. I'm certainly not opposed to anybody going out and voting. But to say that we're going to change the political system and... And the country is going to become more Christian. First of all, you'll never legislate your way to Christianity. That will never happen. Uh, people come to Jesus because the Holy Spirit draws them. And we are to be the light to the world. Uh, we reflect the light of Jesus to the world. And the world sees us and sees, ah, that's the church of Jesus. That's what Jesus is like. And that's what pricks their heart. I mean, you, you look at Peter on the day of Pentecost, the power of God was flowing so much and he's preaching to the people and they said, what should we do? He says, well, repent and times of refreshing will come upon you. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus try to work through the Sanhedrin council to bring forth the kingdom of God? No, he never did that. Actually, he did the opposite. Jesus went into the local towns, the local villages, the local synagogues. And here's the point I want to make there. When you go out and vote, there's an organization that I heard an interview with a guy and I said, wow, I, I really believe, because I've believed this for some time. I'm trying to remember the name of the organization. I think it's the Family Policy Council or something like that. But anyway, I've been a big believer that 
and mustard, what I call mustard seed ministry. Jesus said a grain of wheat falls in the ground, a mustard seed. Nobody sees it. Nobody pays attention to it. It like dies in the ground. But then all of a sudden it becomes forth. Is anybody paying attention to it? No, because it's just this little tiny mustard seed. It comes forth and it grows and then it keeps growing and then it keeps growing. And sooner or later, it says the birds of the air come and find their nest in it. Now, the birds of the air, what he was talking about was the the unbelievers, the Gentiles, that one day they would come in and they, but it was mustard seed ministry. If you really wanted to impact this country, and that's why I mentioned this organization that this guy has, what he does is he has chapters in each state. What they're trying to do and what he says is, look, our forefathers granted certain rights to a centralized form of government, limited power, not ultimate power, limited power. The most important people, if you wanted to look at it when you're voting, who is your mayor? Who is your city councilman? Who's your school board? Who's your school committee? And then after that, who's your state representatives in your state and who's your governor? If you want to change this country, it will never be changed from the top down. It will be changed from the ground up, just like Jesus brought the kingdom of God. Jesus did not minister. He went to Jerusalem three times a year to honor the faith. That is not how he tried to bring forth the kingdom of God. Again, he went into local towns, local villages, local synagogues, fishing towns, all of those things with the common everyday people. And he was going to bring forth the kingdom of God in a grassroots movement. <coughs> Excuse me. Folks, we're really just biding time till Jesus returns and establishes the literal kingdom of God. That's when evil, corruption, injustice, prejudice, violent hatred, that's when it'll all end. That's the only way it will ever happen. We might probably get to the point if we continue, come Lord Jesus. As Christians, I'm going to finish up with this. And again, I'm not being anti-patriotic or I'm not telling anybody I voted. I just, we vote early down here. I just voted. But we do not look to man's political, economic, military systems as being the answer to establish righteousness and justice. Through history, the opposite has been done. Peter wrote and said that we, Christians, followers of Jesus, are pilgrims and strangers here in the midst of what he called a crooked and perverse generation. Again, nothing changes. What do we live for? Faith, family, friends. We're a light to the world, the salt of the earth. We show the world who Jesus and his kingdom is, and we offer it to them. The joy of the Lord, the inner joy and peace of knowing him, that's our strength. Eternal life, that's our hope. Our hope, our happiness, our rest, and our peace is found in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only answer. And with our everyday life, we're voting for Jesus as the King of King and Lords of Lords. Thank you so much for listening. God bless.